In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. And today we're joined by the AJC's veteran political journalist, Jim Galloway, who we call the chief and he is, he's calling us from the wilds of Cobb County. How's it going, Chief? I'm doing fine. Let it be known that no one actually chooses their own nickname. It is foisted upon you. Yeah, I'm, one of my nicknames um, was always Bluey, which is, pretty, which is pretty easy. I'll take that one because it's better than uh, some of the alternatives I could get. But Chief, Chief isn't a bad one. Well, we, we talked about a little last week about there was a Super Bowl freeze for a while where Legislative leaders basically gave the signal to hold off on some of the contentious social issues until after the Super Bowl. Well, the Super Bowl has come and gone, and so has that freeze. That thaw has been lifted, and we saw some pretty big legislation over the last few days involving abortion and religious liberty. Right. Now, the, 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 to, to me, the mo- more important one is the trigger bill that, that, that Brian Kemp is back. You got it. And that essentially paves the way for Georgia to ban most abortions, nearly all abortions, if Roe versus Wade is overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, which conservatives say is an increasing likelihood now that uh, conservatives, now that Justice Brett Kavanaugh has been appointed to the court and conservatives have the edge in that court. Um, so this will pave the way. It still won't necessarily um, guarantee that abortions are restricted in Georgia if Roe v. Wade is overturned because it would still require a resolution um, another resolution and another vote in the Georgia legislature, but it sets the groundwork and it helps Kemp at least start to deliver on a promise he made during the campaign, and that was to pass the nation's strictest abortion laws if he's elected. Yeah, man. The advantage is that it does not, it does nothing to 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 uh, to affect the status quo, which could which could prompt a a a, a backlash among female voters uh, going into twenty twenty. And because, which is important because coming out coming out of this last election uh, in January, an AJC poll uh, had uh, uh, Governor Kemp's approval rating among women at 31 percent. That's pretty darn low. Yeah, that's one reason why Stacey Abrams did so well and came within a very narrow margin of of about 50,000 votes of of defeating Brian Kemp and did particularly well, as we've noted many times in the metro Atlanta suburbs where, where voters tend to be more moderate 
And this position kind of gives him cover. It lets him tell conservatives he's doing something, but lets him also send the signal that nothing has happened, nothing concrete will happen until the Supreme Court makes a decision. And they might never act on, on Roe v. Wade, or it might be years until they take up this type, this type of case. Right. And, 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 and you, you wonder how, how uh, at least Democratic women are going to react to this, because, because one, of the, one of the most unusual things about the 2018 election was that for the first time we saw Democratic mailers on the topic of, of, of abortion rights aimed at Republican women in Metro Atlanta. I mean, that's something we hadn't seen since... You know, since since uh, probably since the 1990s. Mm-hmm. It also lets him sidestep a very thorny issue within his own party. Um, several of his allies have introduced legislation known as the Heartbeat Bill, which would ban abortions as soon as a doctor can detect a heartbeat in, in, a, in a fetus and in a baby. Um, and that could be as soon as six weeks. And so the critics have said that many women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. Um, so it's too early, say the critics. And it's, it's not a debate that I, don't, I think Brian Kemp is ready to get into yet. So by doing this, he can sort of, uh, you know, say, hey, I'm doing something on abortion, but I'm not quite ready to go there yet. We'll see over the next couple of days whether or not that will pass before crossover day, which is a key legislative deadline on Thursday. Um, but that is a very tricky debate for him. Right, right. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's back to the Super Bowl issue. I mean, the, the late entry of all these bills has put a, a, a good deal of pressure on the committee system. Uh, to take up these things, because if it, if it doesn't pass one chamber or the other, uh, it it, uh, it it can be it can be resurrected, but it it makes it a little bit harder to, to reach the finish line at the end of March. You got it. And there's another big bill that was introduced this past uh, over over the last few days too. It's religious liberty, um, and that was introduced by Senator Marty Harden, a longtime supporter of RIFRA. Of some of some effort to bring RIFRA laws, federal RIFRA laws, to Georgia. That's Re- Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It's a federal legislation that was passed in 1993 by Congress. Supporters say it's meant to give an extra layer of legal protection to the faith-based. Critics say it's basically thinly veiled discrimination aimed at gay rights activists and an LGBTQ community. Well, that's roared back to life, and that's another really uh, tough issue for for Governor Kemp because. In the primary, he and pretty much every other major Republican contender signed an oath, signed a pledge that they would back a version of, of religious liberty. After he won the nomination, he kind of tailored that and said, I'll back it, but only if it directly mirrors that 1993 legislation we talked about. This one has that language in it, but it also goes a little bit above and beyond. Yeah, yeah it, would, uh, it would allow plaintiffs who win lawsuits against the government to recover uh, legal costs. Uh, and uh, and it would uh, allow judges to order changes uh, in law, and those two those those two elements alone could give him cover to uh, to reject this thing if, if he so chooses. And this is another issue where we're not quite sure how aggressively or where Brian Kemp will stand. He didn't answer questions about it the other day when we tried to get him after a press conference. Um, but another thing he promised the conservative base, and. You're looking at a session where he's um, he's amended his position on waivers to accept a limited to what could be a limited Medicaid expansion. He'd taken action on um, 
on sexual harassment policies. He, he's trying to keep some of his broader base promises like teacher pay raises while at the same time taking a, a, a sort of nuanced position on gambling, saying he still opposes gambling. And we'll talk about that a little later. He still opposes gambling, but wouldn't be objective, wouldn't be actively trying to stop a constitutional amendment from passing. So he's doing a lot of things that that were geared towards a broader electorate, not so much for the conservative base. So we're starting to see him doing a little bit more for the conservatives that got him here in the first place, while he's also trying not to alienate the moderates, the corporate interests, the, you know, the chamber types, um, who probably were more, uh, more supportive of Casey Cagle way back when, uh, but are now trying to kind of smooth over the relations with Governor Kemp. Right. One one thing one thing about this uh, religious liberty bill, uh, the, the sponsor the sponsor is Marty Harbin of Fayette County, and and we should always remember that that Marty Harbin's district, oddly enough, includes Pinewood Studios, where all the Marvel comic book movies are made, and they are one of the primary opponents of of religious liberty legislation. You got it. And he has nine co-sponsors of this bill. Seven of them are Republican committee chairmen. So there's some there's some significant backers. Um, no leaders. We haven't seen any. We haven't heard what Jeff Duncan has to say on this yet. We haven't heard what um, Bill Cowsert or um, Mike Dugan, who are two of the leaders in the in the Senate Republican Caucus, where they're where they stand on this issue. Um, they've been broadly supportive religious liberty in the past, but not necessarily this specific bill. But it's going to reopen a whole can of worms. And I'm reminded of what Chris Riley, the governor's Governor Deal's former chief of staff, said way back in before the before the 2018 session. That was when Georgia was courting Amazon. And he said, even even the mere introduction of a proposal like this, of a religious liberty proposal, even if it's not going to go anywhere, still taints the, the, the state and still taints the legislative process and still could risk, could in, in, endanger Georgia from getting big corporate recruits, but like at the time, Amazon. So uh, corporate interests are very worried that just the specter of this out there will hurt any any opportunity to recruit new businesses. Right, right, right. Uh, now, I don't know if, 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 uh, if I can take the, the helm just a little bit. Uh, Senate Bill 131, sponsor is Burt Jones. It would allow a state takeover of Hartsfield-Jackson Inter- International Airport. Uh, now we have seen we have seen takeover legislation in the Capitol before. I mean, it's been around for it's been around for decades. Generally, it's it's used as, as leverage uh, uh, by state lawmakers to kind of keep uh, Atlanta mayors uh, in line. This time, this time it could come for it could come for the first time in history if you come up to a chamber vote in the Senate uh, by Thursday. There are 30, 30 senators who have signed on to the bill. And that pretty much that, that that's going to make it hard to keep it off the floor. Uh, you've already seen some very intense and very strong language from 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 Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms on it, and uh, it's uh, it, it, it this could this could be the surprise fight of the session, I think. Yeah, and that bill signed by by a sponsored by Senator Burt Jones from uh, Middle Georgia area ish around Jackson County. Uh, and this has been a, a long-term effort of his, too. And you're right. With that many co-sponsors, he almost has enough votes. He essentially has enough votes to get it passed just with his co-sponsors on the bill. It's been in study committees. That's been, you know, uh, up and down in debate and discussion for a long time now. And as you mentioned, a perennial effort. Um, again, another tricky one for Kemp's uh, administration because the governor had f- harsh words for Mayor Bottoms 
during the heat of the campaign. They try to make nice. Um, they, they each visited with each other several times. They, they say they have a cordial relationship. This is Mayor Bottoms' uh, top priority in the legislature is defeating this bill. And from what I understand, the Kemp administration has very little interest in, in signing this bill and kind of picking that fight and giving the state that much more control. They, uh, from what I understand, the Kemp administration wants to give uh, Mayor Bottoms more time to kind of clean up the, the airport. But Republicans, uh, broader, a broader group of Republicans in the legislature are tired of hearing about all the corruption scandals and the federal probes of Atlanta City Hall and its contracts with the airport and want to step in. Yeah, yeah. It's, what's what's interesting is among those thirty senators, there are two names missing. Both of them are 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 are, are the senators' four leaders: uh, 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 Strickland, out of Henry County, uh, out of McDonough, Brian Strickland, and uh, Blake Tillery. Neither they have not signed on the bill, which is sometimes an indication. Uh, interestingly, the Senate committee, the, the Senate Transportation Committee, passed it out five four, which is a close vote, uh, with two Republicans dissenting. One of them was Butch Miller. He's the majority leader, and he had been an, an, an original signer on that bill, so there's a sign for you. Uh, the other thing is, when, when this bill passed out last Tuesday, uh, hours before that, uh, you had uh, uh, Mayor Bottoms knocking on Brian Kent's door for a conversation. So it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very active, volatile situation here. And I'd add, too, she also met with Jeff Duncan, who controls what measures reach the Senate floor and which ones don't. And, of course, there is a Thursday crossover day deadline that you mentioned earlier. If bills bills generally have to be approved in, by Thursday in one chamber to cross over to the other chamber and have a chance of being signed into law. But as you noted, it's not necessarily the, the graveyard for those bills that don't because there's always a way that those could be resurrected in the final days of the legislative session. But it's usually a good sign of what moves forward and what doesn't. And another bill we'll be watching before that crossover day deadline is gambling which has very quietly but very quickly roared back to life, it seems, after years. It's another perennial effort to legalize casinos in Georgia. Um, and in past years, there's been big, flashy movements and lots of money from gambling companies and lots of talk about billion-dollar casinos all over Georgia. This year, gambling advocates took a much quieter approach, and uh, it might be paying off. We have Governor Kemp, Lieutenant Governor Duncan, and House Speaker Ralston all saying that while they personally oppose legalizing casino gambling, that they won't stand in the way of a constitutional amendment hitting the floors of the Senate or the House for a vote that would set up a referendum in November 2020 for Georgians to decide whether or not to legalize gambling. Now, is this the same? Is this, uh, you're, you're, you've got the better on me on this issue. Is this the same this uh, kind of kind of like the Ron Stevens legislation of previous years that's it's, uh, uh, where they've they've gone for what's called uh, destination casinos and would limit the number of casinos in the state. Yeah, it's a great point. They call them destination resorts, and they are casinos. Um, but in past years, this effort has been accompanied by legislation that really spells out what these resorts should look like, where they would be, how much money they should cost. There's even been floors uh, uh, in past bills saying that companies should spend at least a billion dollars in Metro Atlanta to build these types of resorts. This year, the sponsor said, we'll hash out those details later. Let's just get a referendum, a constitutional amendment passed first that just legalizes gambling and leave it to legislators to figure out the details after this passes. So they're taking a, a different and 
and, and, and sort of a quieter approach this year to getting it passed. And you've got the sign-on of, um, especially in the Senate, of a bipartisan group. And from what we hear from legislative leaders, they're essentially saying as long as that money goes towards the lottery-funded HOPE scholarship and pre-K programs, that they won't stand in the way. Um, what's going to be interesting is if Democrats also insist, like they have in the past, on some sorts of needs-based element to that, to, to, uh, to add on and enhance the merit-based HOPE scholarship. Now, we, we, should, we should say that this needs a two-thirds vote in each chamber. So, so Democratic votes are essential to passage. Democratic votes are essential to passage. Keeping the majority of the Republican caucus together is, is essential. Um, we'll, be, we'll be talking to, in, is, if this moves forward, we'll be talking to lawmakers um, across the board to see where they stand on it. Uh, it won't be an easy one, but if it reaches the floor of, of the House um, this coming, this week, then it'll be one of the farthest this bill, the farthest this bill has ever made, just like the airport bill we were just talking about, these bills have usually been bottled up in committees, never really reached the floors of, of either chamber. In this case, we could be seeing a big vote. If it doesn't get that vote, though, gambling advocates still have next year. They want this on the ballot in November 2020. So that gives them, uh, you know, next year's legislative session to push this too. But, you know, it, 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 it can't be ruled out for this year either. This is really moving fast. Wow. Donald Trump in casinos on a Georgia ballot in 2020. And one more thing uh, before I let you go, Chief, to talk about is the continuing fallout over Speaker Ralston. We mentioned his, his, his gambling stance, but the AJC a couple weeks ago had a blockbuster story detailing how in his private practice he used, and some would say abused, his legislative leave policies that basically let... Uh, let lawmakers request and require judges to defer cases as long as they say that there's a legislative purpose they've got. They've got legislative duties to perform. And in some cases... This is year-round. Year-round. This is not just during the session as, as, as the law used to read. You got it. And in some cases, he deferred cases for years at a time, including some, some very dicey criminal cases involving sexual assault and rape and very serious crimes. Well, that spurred a movement, a resolution by state representative David Clark, a Republican from Buford, uh, to call for his resignation as Speaker of the House, as the state's, as the state house's top speaker, a uh, top Republican. And he had um, nine other Republicans sign on, which was a, a show of some support, but not nearly broad enough to to really endanger the speaker. Right, right. I, mean, I think he is, unless we see see some some new new information. I think he has probably at least weathered the storm, at least for now, until that, that until, well, he's, he still has to name what, he, uh, what he's calling a bipartisan committee to look at uh, reviewing this, the Georgia state law. So he hasn't named that committee yet, and then this committee has to come back and, and give a report. We don't know what kind of timetable that is, that, that's going to set to. But, uh, but in the meantime, I think he, uh, the, uh, we've, re- we've reported that Ralston said he's, he's going to limit the number of criminal cases that he takes until he can clear his calendar of, of, of the ones that have been held up, that he, that he has asked for, for so many delays on. Last week, he took the, uh, the floor of the House in a rare move and gave a very fiery and sometimes emotional response to those series of stories by the AJC in Channel 2 Action News, where he said he did nothing wrong, but he also said perception is reality and that he had to take some sort of step 
to ease the concerns from not only Democrats, but also his own caucus, including the, the David Clarks and the people who have signed on to resolutions calling for his ouster. And yeah, that includes a bipartisan commission. We're not sure the timeline of when they'll propose legislation. It could be next year even, but a bipartisan con- commission to look at these legislative leave policies. And also, he said he won't accept new criminal cases until he settles this one. So he's taking steps. Um, we talked to David Clark, who said, that's nice and all, but these are half measures. He said uh, that, that, that Speaker Ralston has abused his powers and that nothing short of his resignation, resignation as the, the state's, the, the House's top leader will suffice. Yeah, we should mention that David Clark, he's from Buford up in Gwinnett County. He is contemplating a run for the 7th District Congressional seat that's being given up by Rob Woodall. You got it. He's a, he's a former um, Army Ranger who also took the rare step last year of when Casey Cagle was the inevitable, you know, seemed like the inevitable gubernatorial candidate and was the front runner in the Republican Party of speaking out against him. So this is a guy who is not afraid to sort of challenge power. And as Ralston said, he suggested that Clark, without naming names, he suggested Clark was doing it just to get his name recognition up ahead of a 7th District run. And that will be an all wide open Republican primary where name recognition really matters. Well, Chief, thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate it, and good luck in the wilds of Cobb County. All right. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see you next time. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.